translation and reporter This child will be a munificent donor of charity and protector of the surrender, like the famous King Shibi of the Ushinada country. And he will expand his family like Bharat, the son of Maharaj Dushyanta. So again, these verses are in response to Marjudis. You're asking the astrologers. They told him that Parikit would be a great devotee. And he said, but in addition to a great devotee, will he also be a great Kshatriya? So now they are answering that by giving the different qualities of Kshatriya and comparing Maharaj Parikit's having those qualities to various famous personalities. Instead of just saying he's charitable, and saying he'll be as charitable as Shibi. And instead of just saying he will enhance the reputation of his family, they say he'll enhance the reputation of his family like the son of Maharaj Dushyanta. So it's nice in these purports, which we're about to read, Shil Prabhupada gives background information on some great personalities that have been mentioned in the verses. I just, a little aside, when I, was, when I first joined the Hare Krishna movement, I, of course, didn't know all these stories of different people. And I, I remember when I first read Krishna books, I was a little lost as far as who's who. <laughs> you know, all the, the difficult Sanskrit names and, and trying to figure out the family relations. And what I found very helpful was reading the first canto of the Bhagavatam, where many of the purports, just like this one, Srila Prabhupada gives a very brief one-paragraph bio <laughs> of these different personalities. We're, we are going to focus in um, in this purport on the mood of a satya. Purport. A king becomes famous by his acts of charity, performance of yajyas, protection of the surrendered, etc. A satya king is proud to give protection to the surrendered soul. That's what we're going to focus on today, this sentence of the report. A Kshatriya king is proud to give protection to the surrendered souls. This attitude of a king is called Ishvara Bhav, or factual power to give protection in a righteous cause. In the Bhagavad Gita, the Lord instructs living beings to surrender unto him, and he promises all protection. The Lord is all-powerful and true to his word, and therefore he never fails to give protection to his different devotees. The king, being the representative of the Lord, must possess this attitude of giving protection to the surrendered souls at all risk. Maharaj Shibi, the king of Ushinara, was an intimate friend of Maharaj Jayati, who was able to reach the heavenly planets along with Maharaj Shibi. Maharaj Shibi was aware of the heavenly planet where he was to be transferred after his death, and the description of this heavenly planet is given in the Mahabharata, Adi Parva 9669. Maharaj was so charitably disposed that he wanted to give over his acquired position in the heavenly kingdom to Yayati, but he did not accept it. Yayati went to the heavenly planet along with great rishis like Astaka and others. On inquiry from the rishis, Yayati gave an account of Shibi's pious acts when all of them were on the path to heaven. He has become a member of the assembly of Yamaraja, who has become his worshipful deity. As confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, the worshipper of the demigods goes to the planets of the demigods, Yanti Deva Vrta Devan, Bhagavad Gita 9.25. Samara Shibi 
has become an associate of the great Vaishnava authority, Yamaraj, on that particular planet. When he was on the earth, he became very famous as a protector of surrendered souls and a donor of charities. The king of heaven once took the shape of a pigeon hunter bird, an eagle, and Agni, the fire god, took the shape of a pigeon. The pigeon, while being chased by the eagle, took shelter on the lap of Maharaj Shibi, and the hunter eagle wanted the pigeon back from the king. The king wanted to give it some other meat to eat and requested the bird not to kill the pigeon. The hunter bird refused to accept the king's offer, but it was settled later on that the eagle would accept flesh from the body of the king to the pigeon's equivalent weight. The king began to cut flesh from his body to weigh in the balance equivalent to the weight of the pigeon, but the mystic pigeon always remained heavier. The king then put himself on the balance to equate with the pigeon, and the demigods were pleased with him. The king of heaven and the fire god disclosed their identity, and the king was blessed by them. Devarshi Narada also glorified Maharaj Shibi for his great achievements, specifically in charity and perfection. Maharaj Shibi sacrificed his own son for the satisfaction of human beings in his kingdom, and thus child Parikit was to become a second Shibi in charity and protection. Dosyanta Bharat There are many Bharats in history, of which Bharat the brother of Lord Ram, Bharat the, the son of King Rishabh, and Bharata, the son of Maharaj Dusyanta, are very famous. And all these Bharatas are historically known to the universe. This earth planet is known as Bharata or Bharata Varsha, due to King Bharata, the son of Rishabha. But according to some, this land is known as Bharata due to the reign of the son of Dusyanta. So far as we are concerned, this land's name Bharata Varsha was established from the reign of Bharata, the son of King Rishabha. Before him, the land was known as Ilavati Varsha. But just after the coronation of Bharata, the son of Rishabha, this land became famous as Bharata Varsha. But despite all this, Bharata, the son of Maharaj Dusyanta, was not less important. He is the son of the famous Yuti Shakuntala. Maharaj Dusyanta fell in love with Shakuntala in the forest, and Bharata was conceived. After that, Maharaj forgot his wife Shakuntala by the curse of Kanvamuni, and the child Bharata was brought up in the forest by his mother. Even in his childhood, he was so powerful that he challenged the lions and elephants in the forest and would fight with them as little children play with cats and dogs. Because of the boys becoming so strong, more than the so-called modern Tarzan, the rishis in the forest called him Sarvadaman, or one who was able to control everyone. A full description of Maharaj Bharat was given in the Mahabharata Adiparva. The Pandavas or the Kurus are sometimes addressed as Bharata due to being born in the dynasty of the famous Maharaj Bharata, the son of King Dusyanta. So, Bhagavatam is full of descriptions of these saintly kings, saintly kshatriyas. In many cases, I would say, as much or more so as stories of Brahmanas. Remember Gopi Pranadhanapu once saying, what is there to talk about Brahmanas? They just sit and meditate. The kshatriyas are doing so many things. So, I find that it's a common misconception, this Ishwara Bhav. 
when Krishna mentions the qualities of the four varnas in the Bhagavad Gita, among the qualities of the Satya, he mentions this Ishvara Ishvara means controller. And here Prabhupada's reminding us that Krishna is the supreme controller. Ishvara Paramakrishna. Satchinananda Vigraha. Nadiraja Govinda Sarvakarana He's the supreme controller. Bhav means mood. To have the mood of being the controller. So this is very confusing. Bhaktivinoda Thakur tells us in his commentary on the 15th chapter of Bhagavad Gita that this desire to lord it over the material world is the first weakness of heart, which leads to the second weakness of heart, that is, of becoming attached to one's possessions. Vedana Yovana Putra Paridana these temporary possessions, thinking they are mine to control, this is the field of my controlling or the instruments of my controlling. Prabhupada explains all this very wonderfully in his purport to the last verse in Bhagavad Gita, 15th chapter. So, we are told that we must root out this essential weakness of heart, this desire to be a controller of material nature. This is our essential, ultimate anartha, born out of envious hatred of the position of God, much like Ravana, who on hearing of the beauty of Sita, wanted to steal her from Lord Ramachandra and practically speaking as far as he was able he was cursed so he wasn't able ultimately to force her but to force her to submit to his control he said if you don't surrender to me I'll have you cut up and I will eat you he imprisoned her <coughs> so Sorry, I have a bad cold. So this is our position. We want to take Krishna's place and be the Lord of his energy, the Lord of Radha. I, I know one devotee told me when he first read Krishna book and he was reading about Rasalila, he was thinking, why does Krishna get all the gopis? Why don't I get any? So this is our basic mentality. I want control. Now we we uh, took the kids somewhere the other day. One of them was like, I wish I could drive my own car so I could have control over my life. And that's our urge for control. I want to have enough money so that I can control my life. I want to have some space that's mine, that's under my control. I want to have control over my body and my mind to get it to do what I want. Like having control over a machine. I try to get control over my family members, over my co-workers, over the material nature itself. I try in so many ways to control. Through having opulence that someone else wants, that I can give them some of that opulence if they do what I say whether it's fame and influence, whether it's money, 
whether it's sense gratification, I'll give you some of this if you do what I want. We try to control by amassing knowledge, trying to figure out how the world works so that I can use it for my own purposes. I try to control by establishing networks of friends, especially friends in high places that I can do favors to, that owe me favors, that I can say, please do this for me. And in this way, Krishna is forgotten. This is the mentality, ultimately, of the demon. Ishwara aham aham bogi. Siddham. Ishwara aham. I am the controller. Aham bogi. I am the enjoyer. Siddham. I am perfect. This is the mood of the demon. And it's the essential problem in our trying to take up Krishna consciousness. A second, I gotta blow my mind. Sorry, thank you. So, how is it that this Ishwar above of the Ksatriyas is something here being glorified in the personality of a great devotee? Often we think when taking up Krishna consciousness, when taking up spiritual life, that humility and giving up my desire to control means becoming like a non-person, becoming a machine. Whatever my authorities tell me to do, I just say, yes, sir. Like you tell your car to start and you turn the key and it starts. We read about Krishna saying in the Bhagavad Gita, giving up all sense of proprietorship, all false ego. And it appears to us that this means to become practically nothing. And sometimes we're even told this by senior persons. Just, you have nothing. It's available. Whatever you're asked to do, you just do that. You have no personality, no anything. But this is not what we see here. We see that the greatest personalities in the Bhagavatam all these different satriyas, they all have this Ishwar above. So what is the difference between the Ishwar above of these Rajarishis and the mood of the demon Ishwaraham? So Prabhupada's giving this in two wonderful sentences, and then of course he's expanding on the two examples given in the verse. Exactly, king is proud to give protection to the surrendered souls. This attitude of a king is called Ishwarabhav, or factual power to give protection in a righteous cause. So what are we getting here? Proud to give protection. Proud to give protection to someone who surrendered, and the factual power to give that protection not just an empty promise like our modern politicians 
And here we find, so a mood, a sense of self above, I am the protector, the power to give the protection, and what one is doing is protecting. What are the demons doing? They are exploiting. They are exploiting. When Ram went to find the golden deer, Lakshman was protecting Sita, whereas Ravana was exploiting Sita. To be the controller, does this mean care or abuse? The king is like the Maha father of the country. To take care of the citizens like they are his praja, his children. So parents are entrusted with the care of their children. That doesn't mean they can abuse them. Care may also mean a correction. Has to. You cannot raise children without ever correcting them. That's not possible. But correction should be done appropriately and lovingly. Not that you lock them in a room without food for a week. But somebody can say, well, this is my child. I can do whatever I want. No, it's your child to take care of. It's like so many people today say, we have dominion over the animals, therefore we can eat them. Yes, the Bible says you have dominion. Dominion over means to care for, not to exploit. The famous Christian writer C.S. Lewis, in his book Screwtape Letters, which I'm in the good company of Jai Doitamaraj and Ravinda Suprabhu in really liking that book. And he makes the point that when a human being says mine about something, my car, my home, one is this is mine to take care of, and the other this is mine to do with as I please. The child who says, this is my toy, so I can break it if I want. Or, this is my toy to take care of. So the Christian term for this is stewardship. One is given something to take care of as a service. Krishna can take care of everything. He doesn't require us to take care of anything for him. But he enjoys this loving relationship with his devotees. And for the conditioned souls, Eko Bahunam Yovidadati Kaman, he is also fulfilling their desire. But he's saying, fulfill your desire in this way. Whatever you're doing, doing, do this as an offering to me. Remember that my area of control, each of us has an area of control, not just Pariket and Shibi and Bharat. We all have something, at least, at least our own body and mind, if nothing else, is our territory, our field. Chaitra Gyam Chapi Mambit, He Sarva Chaitra Shibharata, Chaitra 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 Gyanam, in this field, there's two enjoyers, ourself and super soul. This is our kshetra. This is our field, this body and mind. 
And most of us have something more than that. Most of us, like, there's one man in Vrindavan, when I was staying there recently, he was around the corner from where I was staying at the Food for Life ashram. And they said for 11 years, he's just been living on the street. Had to move a few yards here and there when they did construction. And all he has is his body and mind. He has nothing else. People periodically give him blankets. And then when the blankets get dirty, they get taken away and someone gives him a new blanket. That's all he has often is a blanket <coughs> and his own body and mind. He literally lives on the street with nothing. So most of us have more than that that is in our purview of control. Most of us have a room <coughs> or a part of a room. Maybe we even have a whole house. Maybe we have several houses. We might have a vehicle or several vehicles. We might have other people for whom we're responsible. Wife, husband, children, people that are uh, in our project, employees, elderly parents, maybe even animals, maybe we have cows or other animals that we're taking care of. So this is our area of control. But area of control means care and not abuse, not exploitation. Not that my area of control is for me to take. Everyone here owes me. They're my servants. My wife, she's supposed to serve me. Vedic wife, (laughs) be there to serve me. Oh, my husband, he's there to serve me. Proper husband. He's here to take care of me. My children, they're supposed to be obedient to me and serve me. My employees should do what I say. And if they don't like it, too bad, I'll fire them. My machines, they should do my bidding. That is Ishwar Hamahambogi. That is the mood of the demons. Ishwar Bhav is I am here to be the servant. Rakhivinot Chakur has a wonderful song like this. This house is yours, and my family members are all your maidservants and servants for me to serve. Das, das, anidas. Chaitanya das, amui. Chaitanya das. Chaitanya das, amui. Hanra dasura das. Adwaitacharya spoke this verse. I am a servant of Lord Chaitanya. I am a servant of Lord Chaitanya. I am a servant of Lord Chaitanya and I am a servant of his servants. So we are serving Yugalikishore, the divine couple of Radhe Sham, who exists in the one person of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And everyone is his servant, Krishna Araswarupaya Jivara Krishna Dash. Not only those who have realized their Krishna servant and acting according to that realization more or less, but every living entity. Therefore, Jiva Doya, one must be kind to all living entities. We may not have a very big kingdom. Our kingdom may be very small, very, very small insect kingdom. 
But we also need to have this need of giving protection, of giving care, and at any risk, at any risk, you think about this, the story about Mara Shibi is, I mean, it's inconceivable. How can anybody understand this story? That, you know, to save a pigeon in his kingdom. You know, we talk about how the modern rulers don't take care of the animals, that they take the people as their citizens, but not the animals. <laughs> but we don't usually talk about pigeon saver. You know, we talk about go saver, a pigeon saver. So to save a pigeon from an eagle, Maharaj Shibi was ready to give up his own life. The pigeon came, please save me, save me from the eagle. Yes, I will save you. And the eagle comes and says, wait a minute, I'm also your praja. And now you've taken my food. And Arashibi was cutting the flesh off his own body and finally put himself on the scale, at which point, of course, the birds showed that they were demigods and they healed him. But we cannot, obviously, cannot, should not start cutting up our body. But the point is to give of oneself in sacrifice complete sacrifice. These Satriyas, they didn't even consider that they owned the kingdom. They would give the whole kingdom to the Brahmanas. They'd say, it's your kingdom. The Brahman says, all right, fine, but we don't want to deal with the nitty-gritty of administration. Brahmanas are not interested in opening schools and hospitals and digging wells, and that's not their interest. They said, fine, we own the land, but you take care of it. The Brahmanas care about people, but it's the Satyas who care for people. The Brahmanas care for people in the sense of being counselors and teachers. And they're not out there involved in giving the, the, the care like that. That's the Satyas. So the Satyas are not even thinking that their kingdom belongs to them. Nothing. As was explained with Lord Ramchandra and Sita, that they gave their kingdom to the Brahmanas. They gave away everything. The only thing Sita was left with that she owned, explained in the ninth canto, was her nose ring. <laughs> so we are also called to do this sacrifice. Krishna generally appears in the family of Kshatriyas. <coughs> Sometimes as Mahaprabhu or as Parasaram, he appears as a Brahmana. Of course, as Parasaram, he acted more like Kshatriya. Or as Narayan Rishi as a Brahmana. And, of course, Krishna was son of Nanda, Nanda Nandana, a Vaisha. But he still appeared as the son of Vasudeva and Devaki. And Krishna is, in one sense, the top Kshatriya, the king of kings. Lord of lord and king of kings, as Handel said in his Messiah. Lord of lord and king of kings. So Krishna says in the Chatur Sloka of the Bhagavatam, I create, maintain, and destroy the material world by penance only. Penance. What does Krishna have to do with penance? Apapanvidam. Krishna has no sin, and he destroys the sin of anybody who comes in touch with him. Even angry, envious, lusty people. Kamsa, Santavakra, Kubja. They become purified. What is this penance? 
No, by sacrifice. By sacrifice. Even Krishna says he creates, maintains, and destroys by sacrifice, by giving. This is our Sanatan Dharma, to be givers. Now we have to make a strong caveat. One cannot do this artificially. Just give one's whole body. So I'm sure we've had both experiences. We've had the experience that giving can be, often is, more satisfying than receiving. I'm sure we've had this experience. Buying something for myself and spending that same money to buy something for somebody else, something that the other person really needs and really appreciates, which is more satisfying. It's interesting, isn't it? That when I give to others, I feel more satisfaction than when I get something for myself. I just bought a couple books for myself. So then they came in the mail yesterday. Oh, great, my books have come. But I will tell you, if I had bought books for somebody that I love, and the books had come for them, the happiness on that person's face when they opened their package would have been much more satisfying to me than the sense of satisfaction I felt from opening my own package. This is because ultimately, as Prabhupada explains in his instruction, in his introduction to nectar devotion, we have this loving propensity. What does love mean? It means giving and sacrifice. What does love mean? Love doesn't mean just... uh, something sentimental. It means that I do things for the others at my own sacrifice. So we have this experience that sacrifice for others brings us more pleasure than something done for ourselves. Ah, but we also have another experience that if I sacrifice for others without any reciprocation, eventually I become bitter. I recently had this experience where some friends of mine asked me to do some service. They asked me to create something. And it was very difficult. It wasn't something that I was already familiar with. I had to do a lot of research over many weeks. There was back and forth communication over many, many months. Then the creation of the the project took me two weeks where that was my main focus. And when I gave it to them, all I got was a little note, yes, we received it. No, thank you, no, oh, this is exactly what we want. Not even, well, this is not exactly what we want. Just nothing. Just silence. So those things are painful. If you give and 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 and sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice, do something you wouldn't normally have done for yourself. And the response on the other end is silence. No acknowledgement. No appreciation. Or the response on the other end is just criticism. You're not giving enough. Give more, give more, give more. We become bitter and hurt 
and say, well, I'm not going to sacrifice anymore. So these two opposite experiences, <coughs> that sacrifice and giving, are more pleasurable than getting. And that giving without any reciprocation can be very bitter. Should bring us to the point to know that we are meant for sacrifice, but that sacrifice has to be to the right object. The sacrifice has to be for the right cause. The demons are also sacrificing. It's impossible to live without sacrifice. We just can't do it. Krishna says this in the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Without sacrifice, you can't be happy. You just can't. At least one has to sacrifice for one's body. One has to work to feed the body. Which is a foreign object, by the way. It's not us. We, the soul, don't require food and water and sleep, and etc. So we are working hard at the sacrifice for the body. And the body is not a very grateful master. So what we learn from this is we have to sacrifice anyway, and ultimately it is sacrifice that makes us happy. Let us control the aspects of our life, not as an exploiter, but as a steward in sacrifice, not for another jiva, not for our false ego, but for Krishna. Who is on our altar for whom we are sacrificing? Is it our ego or is it Krishna? What's motivating us? The materialists, because there's this satisfaction from sacrifice and pain from unreciprocated sacrifice, they go back and forth between bogatiyag, bogatiyag, bogatiyag. First they're renouncing and sacrificing and then when they get burned, they pull back and enjoy. Oh, let me just, let me be the center. And that's not very satisfying, having myself as the center. So again I sacrifice for the wrong cause. And again I get burned. And again I think, okay, I'll just put myself as the center. No more sacrifice. And that's not sad. And again and again and again and again. So we're not suggesting to have the wrong kind of sacrifice. First of all, Prabhupada says here, give protection in a righteous cause. So one has, not, has to know how to sacrifice. For that one needs a spiritual master, one needs the Shastra. And who is the object of sacrifice? Not Ishwara Hamaham Bogi, not I am the enjoyer. Bhokram Yagatapasam, Yagya and Tapasam. All my sacrifices I'm doing for Krishna. And how will he reciprocate? He will give us knowledge of who we are. He will take care of all of our needs, material and spiritual. We'll not have to go in the cycle of birth and death to try to control this thing, that thing, the other thing in an exploitive way. We can come to him. <coughs> to the place where there's only loving giving. 
The spiritual world is just a world of protection and giving and caring. So we are to practice that here, just listening to Narottama Das Thakur's songs, where he was saying, what we meditate on here, that we will achieve there. And Prabhupada's quoting Yanti Deva Vrata Devan. Yamaraj should be, because he was meditating on Yamaraj, he went to Yamaraj. So what we meditate on, if I meditate on, I am Krishna's servant. And I am taking care of these things Krishna has lent to me as a sacrifice to please Krishna, who is the enjoyer of sacrifices. He is meant to be happy by what I'm doing. If others are happy or not happy, I don't have my sense of self, my sense of self-worth, my happiness in life, dependent on what anyone thinks about me except for Krishna. And we can judge this by how we react when others ignore us or negatively reciprocate with us in terms of our sacrifice. If we feel crushed and hurt, discouraged, then we had the wrong object of sacrifice. So let us not become self-centered like the demons who think, I am the controller, I am the object of sacrifice, I will sacrifice for myself, and everything within my purview of control is for me to use for my purposes. Let us have instead this Ishwar Bhav. Probably will not become world emperors or kings or mayors, maybe. But whatever fear we have, let us be in this mood of protection. This is actually even the mood of the gopis. Radharani says, I bathe and dress my body to give Krishna pleasure. Usually we bathe and dress our body to give ourselves pleasure. We look in the mirror and say, well, I'm good looking. And to have other people admire us. Oh, you're looking good today. (laughs) But no, everything, the care of our body and mind, the care of whatever Krishna has lent us, to be thinking, I'm doing this for you. This is your home. This is your palace. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to protect and care for whatever you've given me and do things in a first-class way to please you. And whether other people appreciate it, whether other people recognize it, I don't mind. Amani Dana. I I don't care for the honor of this world, which is very fleeting and superficial. I'm no interest in it. And I am giving all appreciation to others. So this we can learn from the life of Maharaj Brickett, great devotee, and from Maharaj Shibi, from Bharat. I didn't get into the story so much of this Bharat, Another wonderful personality. So many personalities that by their lives we can get some clue 
How do I live in the world as a devotee of the Lord? So, again, I want to commemorate the passing from this world of Gopi Paranadana Prabhu. He lived the life of a perfect Brahmana, and he used all the assets that Krishna gave him in the service of the Lord. I think what was most astonishing about Gopi Paranadana, who I knew for about 20 years, is that although he was one of the greatest scholars, Vaishnav scholars in the world. You never would have guessed that by meeting him. Never. His demeanor was very quiet and unassuming. He never put himself forward as, as who he was. When he would speak, of course, you get some idea of the depth of his realization and, and knowledge but even when he was speaking his mood was always that of a simple servant and a devotee whenever he presented something he presented it with humility he was always interested in how others thought and felt to work cooperatively, cooperatively with them he lived a very simple life in the last so many years of his life he's been living at Govardhan Hill in a very very simple home recently he's taken up doing more traveling and preaching but he certainly exemplified the combination of utmost qualification and utmost humility so I feel very blessed that I was able to work with him, with his family, to know him as a friend, to know him as a, as a godbrother and somebody that uh, we worked with on, on many projects. And we long to be in, the, in our home where there's none of this birth, death, old age, and disease, where we can have the eternal relationships with everybody that we are seeking for. Death in this world reminds us this is not our real home. It's such a foreign idea to us that the people we work with and care about, one day they're just not there anymore. We don't really understand that not our nature. And also when someone departs, we can meditate on our own insignificance. Although Gopi Parinandana Prabhu was without any argument, one of the most important members of the Gaudiya Vaishnava Sampradaya on the planet. No argument. I can't imagine any person disputing that statement. Still, I notice even today, people will write by email or they write some little homage and then they go on with their lives. 
This is what Bhishma said in the Mahabharata. Everyone comes to the cremation ground. And then when they leave, they go on with their own lives. And although we're not there, life goes on. After a while, we're mostly forgotten. And all of the so-called important things that we're doing, uh, they're not getting done anymore. And it doesn't matter. So let us try to have our significance and meaning not in the things of this world which are temporary and quickly forgotten, but in whether or not we're using everything we have to please Krishna. Thank you very much, and thank you for tolerating speaking and I have a cold, etc. I take just a very, very few minutes for questions. I really don't have a lot of Thank you. Thank you for the wonderful. I'll ask you a question. You were you were talking about. Um, this is more of a technical question. Um, you were talking about the purview or area of control that one has, and we use that in Krishna service. Just kind of thinking about our meditation while we're doing things for Krishna. Um, in in the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna explains that the the spirit soul bewildered by the influence of the false ego thinks himself the doer of activities which are uh, actually carried out by the, the three modes of material nature. And Krishna also says that one who sees that the self does nothing actually sees. So as sort of a technical question, say we're, you know, washing pots for Krishna, um, is it that we're just desiring to wash pots and wash them nicely um, and really desire is all we do? Are we physically doing something, our hands going up and down? What is? What are we really doing? Oh, my. You have to ask a question like that. Sorry. So it's described twice in the Bhagavad Gita, fifth chapter and I believe 13th. I can't remember if it's 13th or 15th, and every time I think I'm going to remember which chapter it's in. Anyway, 13th or 15th, where Krishna says that we're not actually doing anything. Of course, Krishna also describes the five factors of action, and one of them is us. So let's turn to another one of our departed God brothers, Sadaputipagul, who explains the situation by means of an analogy. So I believe that probably all of us have seen somebody play a computer game. I've never personally played them, but I've had the misfortune of seeing people play them. And in a computer game, you have a character in the game. You can create a character. You can decide its gender, its skin color, its hair color. You you create it. And you can then manipulate this character around the imaginary world and you meet up with other characters of other people. So they're real people, but you're not interacting. You're interacting with the real people, but you're acting, interacting with them through their created characters. I think they even call them avatars. And you're doing so many things, you know, you, whatever they do today, I don't know, kill monsters or whatever they do. And you get points and et cetera, et cetera. So 
what's happening in playing a computer? Who's doing something? So we could say that what's doing something is the computer. The bits of metal and plastic. We could say that what's doing something is the electricity. It's powering the computer and powering the computers in, in, alter, in other places. We could say that what's doing something is the software, the computer code that tells the hardware what to do. And some programmer wrote that code, and that code is ultimately ones and zeros. So the computer is ultimately atoms, protons, neutrons, and electrons. You've got the electricity. You've got the ones and zeros of the program. You could say that what's doing something is the people running the program, people who designed the program. They designed the imaginary world. They made the rules for the imaginary world. You could say what's doing something is your interface. You're not just the computer, but you know your mouse, your joystick, your keyboard. You could say what's doing something are the individuals who are playing the game. And that's all true. So Krishna has engineered this material world, software and hardware. You know, he's engineered it out of Bumirapanalok, Bayu, Tamano, Buddha, He's made it out of solids, liquids, gases, space, time, mind, intelligence, and ego. Then he's got his software running. The three modes of material nature. And within this world, there's rules. And there's different storylines that one can live. And we create a character. This is nicely described in Bhagavad Gita. One gets a set of senses grouped around the mind. So depending on our karma, think about how much money you have, depending on our desires, we can create a character, which in one sense is us. We're acting through that character. In another sense, it's not us. And then I am communicating my desires for the actions of that character to the material energy. And if my desires are in accord with how the material energy works, you know, if you're playing a computer game and you say, I want my character to jump out of the computer and talk to me, I can't do that because that's not how the computer is designed. So I communicate my desire. And if that's how, if, if my desire is in accord with the programming, with the laws, and if I have enough credit to get that desire, then material nature reciprocates and allows my character to act in a particular way. And my characters interacting with other characters. Now, the Shastra <coughs> compares it to a dream. But it's an interesting dream because in my dream, I may be interacting with you, but you're not interacting with me in your dream. Whereas in a computer game, my dream-like character and your dream-like character can be interacting. And we can be talking together. We can be doing things together. So many things. So... I'm doing something. Without a doubt, I'm doing something. 
It's not that I'm not doing anything, but I'm not doing what it looks like I'm doing. I can tell the computer to raise my character's arm, but I'm not raising my arm. And even if I was, even if you had a computer game that was hooked up by sensors to my own body, and when I raise my arm, the character in the screen raises their arm, I'm still not exactly raising the arm of that character. I sort of am, but I'm not. And I'm dependent on all these other elements. I mean, if the electricity turns off, then I have no facility to manipulate that character anymore. If the people who run the game decide that it's not making enough money and they want to close it down, I can't manipulate that character anymore. If my computer breaks, I can't manipulate the character anymore. So I'm not the only doer. I'm, I'm, I'm a doer. <laughs> and I'm not really doing anything. I'm only communicating my desires. And then the programmers the people who run the machinery, they're facilitating the fulfillment of those desires through their machines. So it's something like that. Now, of course, even this illusory world still belongs to Krishna. So just like a, a computer game, it has some existence. It doesn't exist in an ultimate sense that you're not going to travel somewhere and find that imaginary world inside the computer. But it has some existence. There's something there. It's not that there's nothing there. There's something there. There's metal and plastic and electricity and ones and zeros. There's something there. It's just not what we think it is. Hmm. So in the same way, this world, it exists, but it's not what we think it is. It's just the interaction of the modes of material nature and the pradhan that's separated into solids, liquids, gases, time, and space. None of which exists in the ultimate reality. It's a play world. Robert talks about how the child wants to make something, wants to make a japati, so you give them some clay. So I'm not the doer, but I am the doer. I can't say if I'm manipulating my computer game character, I can't say that I don't have responsibility for what that character does. Of course I do. Even though that character is not me at all. It has nothing to do with me. So that was Sataputta Prabhu's analogy, and I find it extremely helpful. That was great. That was a great answer. Thank you very much. That was really satisfying. Anybody else? And I assume, uh, I guess, that the second half of that or the other explanation, is, then in the spiritual world, none of this is true, that the soul, the, the living being, in, in its form, in its vigraha, is actually doing it's completely different in the spiritual world, yes? Correct. Of course, even in the spiritual world, ultimately, everything's done by the spiritual energy also. We're never independent if it's not the Shakti. So here I'm dependent on Maya Shakti, creating a, an illusion that something is happening that it's not, that's not. And there I'm dependent on Swarup Shakti, 
creating the reality. So I'm never independent. I'm, not an, I'm never an independent doer. But there I am actually doing. And here I'm not really, sort of, a little bit, in some ways. Mm. You know, I mean, here my so-called doing is really removed from what's actually happening. And there it's real. I mean, we have that sense here of unreality. Every once in a while, it's just like, huh? This just doesn't make it. I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. What's going on here? Like, you know, Dick Rose, a wonderful song like that. What kind of a world is this? Oh, every once in a while, every human being gets a little glimmer. Something's wrong here. <laughs> Things are just not working the way that they're supposed to. The way I expect them. There's something, something's funny about this place. What? Whereas in the spiritual world, that is the reality. Of course, the interesting thing is that because material nature is also Krishna's, that if we act in this illusory world for Krishna, then we start experiencing the reality even here. And a simple analogy would be, I, I have a niece who got married to a man she met playing the computer game. So they were interacting as their characters. They weren't interacting as each other. Characters means you have a different name, a different form, everything. Sometimes people even have a different gender. And they started to develop a relationship with each other in reality. At first, just through the computer. And eventually, they met each other face to face. So, because there is an ultimate reality underlying the illusion, it is possible to access that reality if one uses that illusion in the proper way. And then, one no longer experiences that one is living in an illusion. Hare Krishna, thank you for a very nice class. Uh, are you familiar with a game, computer game called Second Life? I've heard of it. I've never seen it. Um, we, I've heard that even devotees preach in it. We have a, a whole community of devotees, and I have a temple in there, so your class is being broadcast right now. Oh, that's there. fun. So these little avatars, they happen to come by the hear about Krishna. And we ring in, we have kirtans, and people have actually come initiated through contact through the devotees through Second Life. That is amazing. And I think if Prabhupada will say, he'll be very pleased. Like yeah, on our temple, yeah. you know, we have a Vyasasana and we have Guru Puja. And uh, it's, yeah, it's happening. Wow. A virtual this is, world. This is world. Just amazing. Amazing. This How is much? Kandita Devidasi. Um, yes. Yeah, I have a temple also there next to Janus Priya's temple. It's a Panchatatma temple. 
And um, we have uh, actually a whole community of devotees. There's temples in the whole area called Bhaktiville. And a large temple room and a murti of Prabhupada, Yasasan, and, and deities. And um, people from all over the world, um, no matter where they are, they, they, can, uh, they come and stop by, visit, ask questions. Um, there's kirtan playing, classes playing. So this is turning something that could be very illusory and degraded to, you know, even using that in Krishna service. Oh. All right, well, thank you very much. I think we should end here. All right, thank you so much. Thank you, Mother Irmala. Thank you, Irmala. Thank you. Thank you, Manishi. Wonderful, wonderful class. Thank you. Thank you, Krishna. Thank you, Krishna. Thank you, Krishna. Thank you, Krishna.